0: Welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm assistant sports editor Mark Faulkner, joined by beat reporter Ted Colfin. Coming up we'll hear from former Red Wing Tim Taylor who was a Stanley Cup champion on the 1997 Detroit team and now the director of player development with the St. Louis Blues. Taylor talks about Steve Eiserman's leadership as a hockey player, how Eiserman was as he said like a second coach in the dressing room, which Ted takes us to the news of the day, the new Red Wings captain, Dylan Larkin. What did you make of Eiserman's decision?
1: Well, it was probably the, what, would you agree, Mark, was probably the worst kept secret? or
0: Worst around? kept secret, yes.
1: <laughs> it would have been a 99% shock if it was anybody else but him. Great, uh, The obvious choice, and uh, I think you'd agree the correct choice. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, at this point in his career and where the wings are in the rebuild, I think it's a perfect fit. Uh, he's grown here tremendously over the last few years, and the guy is the ultimate leader. I mean, there's no question. I mean, everybody was talking about it yesterday. He's a guy that the other players will follow. um mm-hmm. Bleeds the Red Wings. You could tell in some of his comments yesterday. He just bleeds the red and white of the Wings. And grew up in the city. The fascinating tidbit, though, he's only played in the state of Michigan I mean he threw his youth hockey sure hockey it's just an amazing run in that respect yeah choice and I think he'll be a fine captain for many a year here
0: from the press conference the other day here's Steve Iserman talking about why he named Larkin the 37th captain in franchise history
2: I don't think there's a like a cookie cutter to or a perfect design to who should be the captain of your team or whatnot they're all or whatnot they're all different personalities. I think that in different forms of leadership, uh, in in my opinion, um, just being around him, uh, obviously I've watched him throughout his, even going back to the U18 program, watched him as a hockey player, had a pretty good feel for him as a player, even better after, you know, being in the same organization and watching night in and night out. But I, he has, he he has, um, he stands out as a leader in his work ethic uh um his competitiveness i think his commitment is his uh inner drive to to be really good to to win um and then I, i i think you would all agree in your dealings with him he's a really good person he's a mature young man he's responsible he cares so he has a lot of those natural um characteristics that that make him a leader uh i guess instinctively and then ultimately we feel with our team, the level, the, you know, the age he's at, um, the where we are as an organization, um, uh, his his uh, maturity as a hockey player, um, that that he just has a lot of attributes that make one make him a natural leader, and the and the natural and uh, perfect fit for us as our captain.
0: Ted, Steve Eisenman just called Dylan Larkin a natural leader. You've watched Larkin's development, the first local captain, the first Michigander from Waterford. He's played here locally with Bell Tire, the national team development program, the Michigan Wolverines. Five years with the Wings now. The last two years, the Wings had no captain. So what does this mean for Dylan Larkin to finally be named captain of this hockey club?
1: Oh, you could tell, Mark. I think you could tell in his comments yesterday this was Mm – a dream come true is he was humbled honored and what a what a thrill it would be i mean let's just put ourselves in his shoes i mean mm-hmm. here you are a hockey fanatic growing up you love the game you love the red wings you follow the red wings and you know ultimately get drafted by your hometown team and take another step or two forward you become captain of the red wings an original 16 A team that's won so many Stanley Cups, can't even believe the thrill. I mean, Mm -hmm. good for him. I mean, again, a good kid. Uh, He's been a fine representative of the Red Wings here since he's been drafted. Again, like we said earlier, I think it's a great fit.
0: So on that topic, here's what Dylan Larkin had to say when you asked him, Ted, about growing up as a big fan of the Red Wings.
1: Hey, Dylan, Congratulations. Hey, just talk about your relationship with your organization growing up. I know we've asked you probably lots of times over the years, but I mean, was it just you wore the Red Wings gear all the time and just a big passionate fan or just talk about your, you know, feelings about the Wings growing up and all that?
3: Yeah, you know what? Um, it was it was most definitely, you know, being in school. Uh, I remember, you know, we my favorite time of the year was during the playoffs because we got to wear – hockey jerseys we get extra credit if we were a Red Wings skier to (laughs) school and you know just just stuff like that I remember uh, 2002 I got to miss school to come see the parade and uh, on Woodward and you know just special things like that I admit my my dad being from Toronto he was a you know a a Leafs fan as well and and you know there was a rivalry in our house and and um, it was uh, you know it's very special just just knowing the history knowing what it what it means to to my family and my friends that are huge fans and and uh it's just uh, just very special and and it means a lot to me
1: have you talked to blash about about it about the captaincy and stuff and just your relationship with him i mean he's the only pro coach you have you've had and all that yeah we had we had a conversation
3: yesterday after after i met with steve and um you know he's he uh he's very good to me Blashes and uh we we have a great relationship where um you know we 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 talk to each other uh we've had in my career probably more hard talks than we've had good talks you know but there's a, a great deal of respect and um and sometimes he, he says things I don't like but uh, he's the coach and I'm the player and you know I play for him and and I play for the guys in our room so um uh, you know he has the best interest of the team and and now we can work together in, in that interest and, and you know try and try and turn this thing around for, for our organization. Sounds good. Congratulations again, Dylan. Thanks, Ted.
0: And there you have Dylan Larkin thanking you by name. And as Steve Eiserman said in the earlier clip, the beat reporters, and I think you would agree would say that Larkin has been good to work with. Tonight he faces a team, the Hurricanes, who missed the playoffs for nine straight years before making it for two straight years, and they're Stanley Cup contenders now. We've talked about this, Ted, that the Wings have missed the playoffs for four straight years, and it'll probably be five straight, and no matter what division they're in next year, it could very likely be six years and counting. How much more losing do you think Larkin can take?
1: Well, he's had a lot of... I don't want to say a lot of practice but it's been a, mm-hmm. a growth spurt. I mean, heck of a just the last few years have been so difficult. He'll have this to lean on and just the fact that he the way he was talking yesterday, he's impassioned in not having this losing continue in the years ahead and so I, I but at least knowing how to get through it the last couple of years, I think He'll be fine that way. Seems like a pretty even keel guy. But I think the big thing is he's going to push this team forward. So I don't think he's going to – losing like last season isn't going to be accepted.
0: Ted, let's take a look now at three new players on the wings in the lineup tonight. A goaltender, a defenseman a forward, Grice Stetcher and Nemesnikov. We'll begin with the goalie, Grice. He's 34 years old, a free agent, from the Islanders and here he is talking about his relationship with the other goalie Jonathan Bernier.
3: Oh, he's a great guy so far I've been getting along really well and you know it's very welcoming and yeah, it's great to be out there with us every day and yeah before I didn't really know him you know just from playing against him we have a couple of uh, mutual friends you know Marmoff played with him and a couple goalie coaches that worked with him that I worked with so there was a little connection there but that's been it
1: so far. You know, it's an odd, odd position, I always feel, with NHL goalies. There's only two of you. You're sort of in competition, but you're the only guys that know what the other guy is going through. Uh, how important is it for you to develop maybe not only a professional relationship with your partner, but also maybe uh, a, a bit of a friendship?
3: Yeah, for sure. It always makes life easier, too. You, know, if you don't feel like the other guy is backstabbing you or whatever. You know, There's any animosity out there. But, you know, like I said, he's a great guy. I'm really looking forward to playing with him. And at the end of the day, we're both here to win games and help the team as much as we can. And, you know, I always feel like that's his goal as well. And yeah, it should be good, but us too.
0: Ted, there you have Thomas Grice, who might be one of the busiest goalies in the league this year. Last year, Detroit allowed 32 shots per game. And many of those were quality shots on the power play, the wings penalty killing. The worst in the league at 74%. Even bad teams like San Jose were at 85%. And the Hurricanes, who are in town tonight, were at 84%. With that in mind, will Grice make a difference?
1: I'm looking for, Mark, is the fact that the Islanders were such a, def- such a good defensive team. They had such a great defensive structure there with Barry coaching. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a big difference coming over here. I think the wings will be much improved. I don't think they're going to be allowing that many shots this year, but it's still not going to be nearly be what he saw with the Islanders. So the test will just, it'll be interesting to see how he faces, how he reacts to facing more shots. There has been times in his career where he hasn't been very good in that respect, the more shots Mm -hmm. he sees. The, the save percentage hasn't been as great as some of the teams he's played for. So that'll be something inter- interesting to watch. Uh, I know I think him and Bernier will play a lot of the games evenly here. Okay. Uh, Blash will talked about that this morning. I think you'll see both of them probably alternating here the first few weeks, maybe longer if they both play well. But I think if one of them does separate, I think one of them will get the bulk of the playing time. So that'll be something to monitor in, the, in terms of the goaltending.
0: Moving on to defense, let's talk about Troy Stetcher. He's 26 years old from the Vancouver Canucks, and Ted, here he is having a little bit of fun talking to you about his 35-hour trip from Vancouver to Detroit with his dog Phoebe. How
1: many days did it take for you to get from Vancouver here? Well,
0: it
4: was 35 hours. So the first night I stayed in Billings, Montana. Um, mm-hmm. I just felt comfortable being in Montana. It's pretty outdoorsy. So I figured they allowed my dog in the hotel. Uh, the second night I drove to Minnesota, I actually stayed with Brock Besser, who I played with in Vancouver, and I actually played with him at North Dakota in college. So we've become you know, really, really good friends. Um, and then I went to Madison, Wisconsin, where my girlfriend lives. So I spent two nights there to kind of break up the trip. And then I, on the Friday, I ended up coming in here and started my quarantine. So sounds
1: it wasn't, like a pretty good little adventure actually.
4: Yeah, it wasn't 35 hours direct. Uh, That would have been crazy, but um, cut it up a little bit here and there. Find some areas to take the dog out for a little walk and, you know, get myself moving. So I'm just sitting in a seat the whole time and uh, obviously got put through the ringer in the first couple of days.
1: My dog would never handle it. How did yours handle it? I mean, did she have fun or what?
4: Yeah, she was a trooper. I couldn't be more proud proud of her, but um, there was no way I was coming out here without her.
0: Troy Stetcher, he'll probably be paired with Stahl tonight on the second pairing, the top pairing to Kaiser and Ronick, the third pair, Nemeth and Merrow. If you put those defensemen on the Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning, they would be behind Hedman, Sergachev, McDonough, Chernak. Ronick could be a fourth, maybe a fifth defenseman. On this team, though, how will
1: Stetcher help? I think he's been a pleasant surprise in camp. I mean, obviously, we haven't seen too much of him, but – Carries the puck well. He seems like a gutty little kid. Um, I say little kid. He's not a kid. He was in the mid-20s, but facially he seems like he's (laughs) in his twenties or whatnot. But he plays the game hard. You can tell he plays the game smart. Mm -hmm. He will be a a good little addition, a good shrewd addition to this team. I know Vancouver didn't like losing him. They were intent on trying to keep him, so – I think he's going to help. Uh, I think Mark Stahl is going to be an underrated pickup. I still think there's some game left in Mark mm-hmm. Style. I think that overall the defense is going to be – well. I was going to say significantly <laughs> improved. I think it will be improved. I mean, it couldn't get yeah. any worse than it was last year. I mean, it was just some rough, rough evenings last year with the defense core they had. I think it's going to be much improved this year. I think the team defense overall is going to be better, and that should – I think they'll mean they'll a few more wins in the win column. I think it's just better quality hockey played by this Red Wings team.
2: We'll
0: take a look at the third new player, Vlad Nemestikov, after our regular interview segment. And today we have an interview recorded last year in the press box in a noisy press box at Little Caesars with former Red Wing Tim Taylor, who is now the director of player personnel with the St. Louis Blues, a two-time Stanley Cup champion, once with Tampa Bay in 2004, and once with the Red Wings in 1997, breaking that 42-year Cup drought and breaking a 14-year drought for Captain Steve Eiserman. Here now is Tim Taylor. So, Tim, we've talked a lot about Steve Eiserman and the 14 years it took Steve to win the Stanley Cup, including 11 years as captain. Now, you joined the team in 93-94, which would have been Scotty Bowman's first year. And Steve Eiserman made a lot of sacrifices, and they still went out in the first round. And there were reporters who talked to Steve, who I think scored only 24 goals that year. And he might have been wondering, I changed my game, but we still went out in the first round against San Jose. Maybe you could take us back to what it was like for Steve Eiserman with a. With a new coach, with a new coach, and Scotty Bowman.
5: Well, it, it was a, uh, you know, it was a transition for the whole organization. Yeah. Because Brian Murray was uh, appointed GM, not the coach, and he was GM, and so Scotty Bowman came as coach. So it was a, a transition for the whole organization, um, and, and not only was it a learning curve for for uh, Stevie, but it was a learning curve for the, for the Red Wings as a whole, and. Uh, Scotty Broman brought something different to the organization they had in the past. And that was defensive hockey uh, with his teams in the past. And, and obviously in the playoffs, you have to win with defense. And, and, you know, Stevie's numbers went down a little bit. But at the same time, he was hurt that year. And Sergei Fedorov was the MVP of the league. So Sergei was trying to find his game too as, as that dominant player. And, and, and Stevie and him were kind of shifting. Where, where Sergei was going to be the more prominent player as the offensive guy. Stevie was going to be the leader. So it was a transition for, for the whole organization. Um, and then obviously the, the next year, it, it kind of took off. We went to the Stanley Cup finals and lost to New Jersey. But that was the year that, that um, you know, we did a shortened lockout season. Uh, we, we win the President's Trophy in that shortened season. We go to the finals, lose four straight, come back the next year. And Scotty Bowman's trying to figure out why this team isn't winning. He, there's pieces of the puzzle he's yeah. trying to figure out. So, you know, and there's rumors that Stevie might be traded. And this is going to the 95 96 season now. The year we set the record for wins was 62. And, at the start of the year, there was a lot of rumours that Stevie was going to be traded, and Stevie didn't, didn't didn't really phase him, he just kept playing. But noticeably, he became a more prominent player, a better player, and even more of a better leader. And, I, and, and he was a good leader, but he became a more prominent leader. When his voice was was, was uh, louder, um, he commanded it in the dressing room, he just didn't do it on the ice. Now it was blocking shots, now it was big face you Now here's the other key that people don't grip is that he pushed buttons. He pushed the right buttons for, for a guy like Fedorov. When Sergei was hurting and wasn't going to play, Stevie pushed him to play hard. He wasn't playing well, Stevie pushed him to be better. He made other guys better around him, and that's the, the, the job of a captain. It's not so much about their lead and, and try and do things on the ice, off the ice. You're taking care of your rest of your teammates and pushing them to be better. When you look at that person beside you and tell them, that's not good enough, you need to be better. Well, he was a, a secondary coach, so to speak, in the dressing room. He was Scotty's voice in that locker room, and it, it really pushed this team. And I I, I, I I, thoroughly believe, and I was only there for the one cup with, with, with uh, Detroit, but they went on to win three more as a team. So luckily the Drapers and Maltby's and, and sure. two out there for Lindstrom. Um, but it was that time they built that. They they, they they lost to learn how to win, so to speak. So they lost to New Jersey, and, and what Jersey did in the playoffs, and, and, and it was goaltending, it was defensive hockey, Cardinals hockey, and competing, and battles. And Stevie brought that every single year to doing that, and that's why they had four Stanley Cups.
0: Tim, where did you fit into the mix as somebody who was finally in the NHL after a high scoring career in London and the OHL, and then serving your apprenticeship? in Baltimore, the American Hockey League. Where did you fit in as you saw Eisenman evolve? You said he was louder, more forceful, playing defense, but what was your role?
5: Well, it was kind of like that. I mean, you yeah. know it's not
0: like Steve Eisenman's role, but it was, it was a situation I
5: won the scoring championship uh, in the AHL, and I come to my first training camp after oh, that, right. and uh, uh, Scotty Bowman looked around, and he says, uh, where do you think you fit in here? And he says, uh, he goes, a lot of goals last year. I said, yep, a lot of assists, Yeah. He says, uh, MVP of the league? I said, yes. All right, he says, uh, look over there, he uh, looks at Steve I. Can you can you beat him? I said no, Look looked at Sergei Fedorov, MVP, reigning MVP, can you beat him? I said no, Primo, no, and uh, he says, how's the checking left winger? I said perfect, and so I became a checking forward, I had to curb my game and, and be a checking forward, and, and it, it suited me for the National Hockey level, and, and uh, I went on to um, play here as a, a checking left winger, and then I went to Boston and became a, a shutdown uh, defensive center. So. It molded me. It molded me. It, it taught me what it, it takes to win. Uh, it taught me what leadership was all about. These guys from, from, from you know, Stevie Y to to Nick Blitstrom, uh to Dino Stisarelli to to all the older players, Paul Goffies. They taught us young players, uh, the, the Drapers, the Malfys, the Points, myself uh what it was like what it took to win and, and what it took as leaders uh, for later in our career and, and I tried to learn everything that, that I, I could from from this organization and I'll be honest I, I when I left here yeah. I felt very cocky when I went to, to Boston like I played for Detroit like like who are you guys basically and, and I, I it, it, it helped me because the first five or six weeks I was there I I, I got a lot of time and, and I was productive so it helped me because I felt that I was I know, better than the rest of the guys because I played for Detroit Wings because they established that, that you're a Red Wings, especially at that time, you're a pretty good player.
0: All these leadership lessons you learned, Tim, you mentioned also later on Dave Andrzejczyk, who took 22 years playing a smaller role. But can you imagine somebody like Dave Andrzejczyk having the puck inside his own zone, making smart plays and taking a different role like you? So could you kind of, again, talk about how teams are formed? You're with the St. Louis Blues now with all the different roles and people like, I mentioned Alex Steen, who all of a sudden was a top six forward, and now he's asked to maybe center a really good fourth line. Yeah, and, that, and that's what it takes. It takes a whole team, and, and we saw that
5: firsthand in '93 or '94-'95, uh, the lockout season, playing New Jersey Devils in the finals. We were supposed to. We were this big red machine that was going to roll over everyone, um, and we came to them, and they beat us four games candidly. You know, we weren't really in the, any of the games other than Game Two. We lost late in the game, but. They beat us handily, and, and they showed us what uh, what a team is all about. And, and it, it, it takes that that key offs It takes that, that 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 puck in the zone. It takes all those you know not giving the puck up, that, that, and, and you know puck control, and puck management, all those things collected as a team. Not just that two on one thread a pass through the needle and onto a stick. It takes all those things together to win as a team. And, and uh, they taught us that. And I was you know, fortunate enough to be here that at '96, '97 the championship team and, and, and that team did that too, you know, and Colorado was supposed to roll over us and we were a team and, and we, we found a way to win, we found a way to, to, to get past those hurdles and, and, and block that, that key shot, you know, uh, you know, at the end of the games or close games out we you're up a goal or two. So all those those uh, details of games uh, that it takes to win, I was taught playing right here Troy. Just
0: a couple more questions. Uh, one of our last guests was John Kelly, who at the time was with the Colorado Avalanche, and he was here on that March 26, 1997 game, Claude Lemieux and Darren McCarty. What do you remember about that game? And John said it galvanized the Red Wings. He said that clearly McCarty said jump Lemieux after all the, you know, you were there for yeah. what happened, you know, yeah. in a previous. enough.
5: up, it was Forsberg and, uh, <laughs>
0: Laryonoff, Laryonoff. Yeah, started. yeah. You know, they,
5: they started, and, and and Darren sought out Claude and and grabbed them and pulled them through the pile and all the ruckus. Blew. I remember being on the boards, sitting there, and, and getting up, and and as he pulled pulled them over, the linesmen were on us because they didn't want us because we thought we hit our sticks or hit him or do something. So. Um, <laughs> It was crazy. And at the end of the day, Max should have probably been kicked out. He ends up scoring a hat-trick, including the game-winner in overtime. But what it did to our team, that was the turning point. Everyone has a turning point in this season, especially teams that win. They know something happened throughout that year that changed everything. Now, throughout that year, after winning the Stanley Cup the prior year, after and, and beating us, I think, three games up to that point, Okay. you know, they had our number. They, they were a team that knew how to win in big games. They, their big guys played really well. That particular game put us over the top. That, that showed us that... that it was time for us to start playing that way to win. And, and uh, it was a turning point for our season. I know it's late in March, but we are, I think we're in a third in the conference. We weren't, no one really expected us to win. We're just a team that was in the playoffs, so to speak, might get through the first round, possibly lose out in the second. Um, but that, that particular game, uh, we battled through. Darren McCarty scores over time. And it brought our team very close together, at the same time showed us uh, what winning is all about and what it takes to win and what you need to do to win.
0: And Tim, kind of wrapping up with Steve Eiserman's nine years in Tampa Bay, you saw what he did with Al Murray and really doing well with the middle draft choices. Um, Some people said they they didn't revolutionize a lot of smaller players, Russian players, maybe some of the things he learned here. They never got over the hump, but I'm just curious. I mean, there's such a fine line between winning and losing. What are your thoughts about what Eiserman did well with Al Murray in Tampa Bay? Well, they did a really good job of
5: building... uh, Skill within players. The guys that had a little bit smaller, but they competed. That was a big thing. There's small players in the NHL or the AHL, if they don't compete, they don't have a chance in this league. So he built a small competitive team, a skilled team. Skilled team. Um, but he had big D. That, that's the one thing that he oh. had, real big D. You look at the Coburns, the Hedmans, uh, they they had a big D right. core. Um, obviously, a good goal So he built a real strong um, uh, competitive team. Uh, and at the end of the day, to be quite honest, once you build a team, once you think that you put the piece yeah, together, yeah. the players have to play. The players okay. are the ones that have to do it nice. They're the ones that have to block that shot. They're the ones that have to make the right plays. They're the ones who make sacrifices to, to win hockey games. So you put a team together that you think can, can win, and at the end of the day, the
0: players have to go out and play. And just one final thought. Eiserman did not have a previous Stanley Cup winner on that team. The Calgary Flames didn't have a champion on their 1989 team. It's just really rare, and I wonder how important it is. The St. Louis Blues, I believe you just had Sundquist, who was a bit a player maybe on yep. Pittsburgh. I'm just curious. Like Steve Eisman had so many good middle-level players. Sorelli, you know, they had so many good players that you maybe didn't need you know, a maroon this year. But how important? I, I don't know how important it is, but most, most teams don't win. Your Blues kind of did without somebody who's already won the Cup.
5: No, you know, but, but it's not so much winning the cup. It's that that, that veteran experience that, that, that's that's been there before and, and will help push guys through it. And Pat Maroon did a heck of a job with our young guys last year. Um, he he was a difference maker in the Dallas series. He's he scored three big goals. Oh, so yeah. um, you know, in skating was, was was something that's a knock adventure against his career. But it comes to playoff time. Those guys are the ones that relish. They're, they're the ones that come to a forefront. We talked about this earlier. The role players, that's their time to shine, and that's one of those things. He can help that team, you know, and weird us up against the cap, we, we couldn't re-sign him, but um, he's gonna be a good player for Tampa Bay, and they need guys like that. They need guys that, that can help the younger players, and, and just to bring it back to, to how this conversation started, is it, did, you, do have to learn, you do have to lose to win, and as a uh, Blues organization, we've gone through that. We've been to, to the conference finals, we've had good teams, we've been uh, top five for 10, nine years since we've been team. We haven't got to that pinnacle until last year. Um, and all those years of getting out the first round and getting beat by Chicago and so watching Chicago win, losing it LA, watching LA win, you know, it taught our core group what it takes and what it, what the battles are and what those two months are all about. And our group has got to the top last year.
0: Our thanks again to Tim Taylor and Ted, back to some key players. Here's Vladislav Nemestikov at the beginning of training camp. When you asked him a few questions,
1: how comfortable have you been here these first few days? I mean, you said, during the summer, to help you know, you were pretty familiar with a lot of guys, and obviously the organization has it been pretty easy to jump into this thing here this week?
3: Yeah, I think uh, I've I've been here all summer. I've skated with the guys all summer, so um, even before I signed here, I knew all the guys, and so I think that definitely helps. Uh, you feel more comfortable, and, and as you go, you meet everyone else, and um, I think it's been a smooth adjustment, and it's it's been
0: good. That's Vladimir Nemestikov, a 28-year-old free agent from the Colorado Avalanche. Tonight, he's slotted on the wing on the second line with Fabry and Zadina. Ted, this might be the slowest and certainly the lowest scoring group of forwards in the league. Out of the lineup tonight, Ryan, Ernie, and Helm with COVID issues. The first line, Larkin, Bertuzzi, Mantha. The second line, Nemestikov with Fabry and Zadina. Third line, Philpola, Gagne, and Bromé fourth-line Glenn Denning, Rasmussen, and Nielsen. Can Nemestikoff's all-around game, he can help defensively, but can he chip in offensively?
1: You know, Mark, I've always liked him. I've always felt he was a pretty good little player. A lot of things. My dog agrees, actually. Uh, I think he's always been a good little player. He does, He's versatile. He can do. He can move him up and down the lineup. Uh, he's a, he does a lot of things well with the puck. He's creative, too. I think he's a guy that could help this team in a lot of different ways. Uh, he's looked really good with Fabry and Zadina on that second line. Mm-hmm. Be something to watch for here going forward. Uh, I, like I said, I think he's, he does a lot of good things on the ice. He's creative. I think when I think we talked about it earlier in the summer when during our show after the free agency period. That may be – the the Mestikoff signing may be the one that turns out the best for this team. I think mm-hmm. I've always been impressed with his play. So, C. Weiserman's always liked him. He drafted him in Tampa. I think uh, that one and the Thomas Grice one, it could be two moves that could really work out well for this team going forward.
0: Ted, the 56 games schedule. The wings open with four straight at home, and then 10 of the next 12 are on the road at Chicago, Dallas, Tampa, Florida, Nashville. Now, home records may not matter during COVID. In the NBA, for example, only five teams have winning records at home in the West. Last year, 10 teams. Had winning records at home, so Ted. When the Wings come back from that road trip, February the fifteenth, they'll be home here Monday against the Chicago Blackhawks. Monday, February the fifteenth, that'll be sixteen games, sixteen out of fifty-six. So that's about a third of the season. Where do you think they'll be at that point?
1: Well, I think the expectation is that it's going to be pretty difficult to separate in the standings when we when you know everything is just intra the division. Mm-hmm. So, Team's going to have to be really, really bad to fall off the pace dramatically, and I don't think the, this team. I'd be I'd be surprised if they fell off the pace dramatically. But allude something that you mentioned there, Mark. I mean, we talked about it this morning after the morning skate, and uh, Jeff Lashell commented on it. I think the home ice will be negated this year for sure. I mean, mm. with no fan, only three arenas are having fans. A limited amount of that, but uh it's the, it will be negated. I mean, you're going to lose a lot of momentum that way. Obviously, the lines and line changes. I mean, that's still a big edge for the home team. But not having those stands, not having those fans. I don't think I can underst overstate it enough. I mean, that's that's a huge momentum in the NHL. I mean, you figure some of these rinks. That really plays into the home team's advantage and. Now you're seeing these empty rinks. Like you said, Mark, like in the NBA and NFL, I think you're going to see Mm -hmm. close to – I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's a 50-50, 500 type of record between the home team and the road team. I really think it's that stark, especially in the NHL. I mean, fans really do play a big part, and I think the home teams are going to miss them.
0: And, Ted, we'll wrap up with one of the key dates for the Red Wings as they prepare for the home opener tonight. The 2021 NHL Draft will be held July 23rd, 24th, and the Wings have 10 picks, three in the second round, thanks to the Mark Stahl trade and the Andreas Athanasiu trade. The Wings will likely be in the lottery again, and I spoke with the number one rated prospect the other day, Owen Power, the defenseman with the Wolverines. He's 6'5", 215 compared to players like Victor Hedman and Hall of Famer Chris Pronger. Down the road, if the wings were to get power, the defense could look like this Power, Sider, Ronick, Tuomisto, McIsaac, Wallander johansson ted tonight's the beginning year two of the rebuild do wings fans will they be patient as they wait for these players to potentially make the team
1: yes mark but it's i mean at some point some of those kids are gonna have to prove they're nhl players i mean they certainly look good in the junior Mm -hmm. but that's a big 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 step up to the nhl you never know how some of those kids are gonna play but uh yeah at some point here they're gonna the rebuilds and the rebuild's nice but they're going to start want to see some victories here soon.
0: Okay, that'll do it. Thanks Ted. That'll do it for today's podcast episode 43. Thanks for listening everyone and we'll talk to
2: you soon.